Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's another conversation with Agility by Nature and me, Gil. It's a lovely day outside, but inside, uh, today's guest, I'm very much looking forward to talking to, as I always am, and I hold this gentleman in very high regard. Why is that, you may ask? Well, first of all, he has been an architect for many, many years. He's really darn good at it. Second of all, he's got a fabulous slab of what I like to call integrity and has been in lots of leadership roles and I think integrity is a key ingredient in that. Also, he's great fun to go out with a curry and have a few beers with as well. So if you need a great raconteur, he's annoyingly tall, dark and handsome, full of boyish uh, good humour and he plays the guitar and likes singing Pink Floyd songs. So what more <laughs> you possibly ask about today's guest? who is Gordon Cullum. <laughs> Welcome, Gordon. How are you? <laughs> uh, better now. Thanks for that. Uh, I, 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 no one's ever, never, ever introduced me into such a long and, and glorious way as that. <laughs> you see, I get a few, I get some days to think about how can yeah, I charm my, death, my guests so that they open up and tell me everything I want to know. I think be nice to the guests. They might be nice back to you. I'll promise to try, yeah. <laughs> so, Gordon, I mean, obviously, we worked together uh, at Mastec, uh, the Indian Offshore and Digital um, Transformation Agent. Uh, you very recently joined um, the NHS. Your new role is, uh, was it Deputy Digital Lead on Strategic Trace? Uh, you know, yep. fairly important role in today's world and, and probably going forward. But you've been architecting uh, for, for see, over 20 years, 25 years. Uh, yeah, good, good question. Uh, probably about 20 years. I'm not that old. 25 yeah, years ago, I, I, I was still in university. Well, this is the yeah. you look young, I thought you'd only done five jobs. Um, <laughs> but what caught my eye, actually, is one of your early roles, because it's Integra, you worked on the London Eye. I did, yeah. I did. What were you doing on the London Eye? Yeah, that was my first There you are, you're in God's country, again. you're proud Northern, we've talked about, you know, the yeah, yeah. investment we need. What are you doing with the London Eye? Well, so... If you don't remember the history of that, actually, it was a joint venture between um, British Airways and the Two Swords Group. And uh, what we'd built at Sintegra was, um, well, actually, we thought at the time, it was the first proper instance of a multi-channel architecture that was a uh, an online ticketing system. So uh, the solution actually supported Alton Towers, Chessington World Adventures, a few other bits wow. of and the London Eye, uh, including all promos to do. And it was a proper uh, hosted um application suite that had a bunch of APIs that served a website and the same APIs served tills and all that kind of cool stuff. So it actually had the ability to surface a physical retail footprint as well as the digital footprint at the time. Now back in, when would that have been? 2003-ish, I think, when we built that solution, 2000, 2003. Um, that felt pretty special, I've got to say. Um, and that was my first, uh, right, you're in charge of the design and the architecture for this. Um, and I'd been working at Integra probably four years at that point, um, come in from university as a technical specialist doing support work, really. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was a little bit of, all right, I can do this with all that youngish, you know, bravado. Um, <laughs> and then uh, you realize actually you were such a great leader when uh, a month before deadline, you've got your entire wee team um, on the HR uh, uh, naughty list, I won't say shit list, Oops, just did, uh, uh, every week in a row for doing averages of 60, 70 hours because basically didn't do it very well. Yeah. Um, but it was a, you know, it, it was a product with a lot of pride in. Um, it went live. Um, and in that particular day, um, uh, the London Eye was a fascinating project in some respects, not just because of the technology, but because of the 
deadlines involved. Yeah. The wheel only stops. I don't know if it still does anymore, but at the time, only stops once a year. It never. It just continues to rotate all the time. Right. It stops once a year for maintenance. Yeah, yeah. And during that maintenance week, um, we get to rip out all the wires in County Hall and install tills and servers and all kind of stuff. If, you, if the product's not ready and you miss it, it ain't going in. Tough. There's no. It goes a week late or two weeks late. It doesn't go in. So you can imagine the pressure towards Christmas because this is about January. I think it goes live. Yeah, I think it was around January. So you can imagine, um, uh, you know, as you get towards that final set, you know, verification and validation tests and fixes and all the stuff that comes with the back end of a project we're all used to. That's all happening around Christmas and beginning of January. So that was um, a baptism of fire uh, as as the design lead for a major project. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's. Big. I mean, you know, I don't think you can have a better grounding and training than that. It's big. It's unarguable on its dates and it's touching so many different technologies embedded and, and you've got the physical yeah. wrapped into it as well. Did that give you a taste? Yeah, just to, just to throw it in, chip and pin as well was, <laughs> was, was, was being thrown in just as, as a new technology from a variety as well. So when we had some, I can't remember the name of the company now, we had a third party service provider that had ostensibly a hosted solution we had to integrate with. So there were, there, we, we'd accepted all sorts of unknowns into this project. <laughs> uh, Things that now, you know, knowing, knowing what you know now, what you've really taken all those risks at the same time um, uh, for the money and the team we built with it? I don't know. Um, not unless you're barking. And uh, 20, whatever it was, 20, 24, 25 years old. Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, 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 for those who may not know, the, the, for some of our overseas, the London Eye is a big carousel wheel that gracefully rises above what was County Hall and you get to see the whole of London and Buckingham Palace. It's actually quite nice. I've been on it. It's quite a good day, actually. So you've never been on it. You've never been on it? No. So on launch day, uh, I, I was in the Leeds office making sure, you know, everything was going to run tickety-boo on the service whilst half the uh, rest of the leadership team was swanning off down to London to have canapes and champagne yeah, yeah. on the eye. Um, and uh, one of the most proud things about that day, though, was... Um, uh, it was just seamless. The whole thing went so smoothly. Um, and, uh, you know, you're expecting big bang releases and stuff like that and lots of fanfare and parades. The thing you realize after, the thing I realized after that was the best releases are the ones where almost no one notices because yeah. it's so slick and so smooth. It just happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. I, 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 did it give you the taste for sort of big, big projects? Uh, well, at the time, it was big to me. I mean, if you look at the things I've worked on since then, I mean, it is dwarfed <laughs> by some of the things I've worked on since then. But yeah, absolutely. Um, don't get me wrong. Some some of the small stuff that I've worked on has been great fun as well because you get to tinker with, you know, be a lot closer to the team and tinker with the the, the nuts and bolts of the tech and stuff like that. When you work on big stuff and you and you've got and you're you're a little bit older with a little bit sort of grayer program hairs, you tend to be kept away from the detail a bit because your value is elsewhere. Um, uh, so um, there's a bit of both actually in that is, is what I'm saying I suppose uh, but yeah there is, there is a taste of big stuff in there um, uh, um, and it's more to do with the impact it makes Yeah. so I, I, I quite like it's a little bit of it's probably, probably a guilty pride I like being able to say you see that thing you've used I got that yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, so if you've been on London Eye uh, between 2003 and whenever that system was replaced, I mean, it must have been replaced a couple of times over by now, but probably between 2003 and 2010, 
yeah, I built that. If you've used some of the electronic prescription services type stuff since the National Spine was built in the mid 2000s, yeah, I built that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to say things like that. Yeah, I, I think mission. You know, I, I, a lot of the guests we talk about the mission, and you get behind the mission, you buy into the mission. And I was going to ask you about the spine because obviously you're, you're working on the strategic trace now, but you've done a number of projects. Um, when you had your own company, but also in Mastec, and what the spine being one of them. Can you tell everybody what the spine's about? Uh, what it's about? Uh, so if I go back to when it was in conceived, so back in the um, uh, sort of sepia and black and white days of the early 2000s, believe it or not, um, uh, the NHS was not joined up in any way, shape or form that we would okay. recognise now. In fact, you might argue it still isn't in, in some places. Um, and there was this, yeah. <laughs> um, so everyone looks back scornfully at the National Programme for IT um, uh, and, and sort of almost in hush and oh, what a failure that was and yeah. so on. And, and, and commercially, there were parts of it um, of, 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 that, that weren't. They didn't realise quite the vision that was being set out for it, notably some of the LSP time programmes. Um, which was sort of the federation outfits. But if you think about the middle bit, um, the, the, the messaging hub and directory services that were built to support all of those interactions across um, that very ambitious programme, um, that was no, no small undertaking. Mm. And it was um, BT Global Services that picked that up. It was actually the actual project team was born out of the Syntegra team. Um, and... Uh, um, yeah, so some of the key components in there would be the messaging service itself. Um, there's um, uh, directory services for uh, organization lookups for you know understanding where messaging endpoints are and system endpoints are and people across the yeah. organization. Um, and then there's this core centralized services for people, you know, for looking at patients, for example, and a few things that definitely hit the press, things like summary care record, which now we take for granted as being part of the service of the day. If you think back, 10, 15 years, that was a political punching bag yeah, at the time. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, and, and something we take for, take for granted now, electronic prescriptions. Your, yeah. your pres the prescription flow is you know, entirely message-based and electronicized these days. Um, that, that happened back then, you know, and you required a central messaging system, a central um, component managing the state of prescriptions, uh, a rollout of, of, of um, specifications, and then uh, uh, sort of, um, product vendor companies building the solutions for pharmacies and GP systems to connect into it, you know, big undertaking. Um, uh, and it's one of those things where it was apart from the outcome um, to be on the inside of, it was a, it was, it was incredibly fulfilling to work on as an IT professional because it attracted some of the, some really, really great people to come work on that. Yeah, it, it, when there's money like that, you also attract <laughs> other types of people as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I genuinely had the pleasure of working with some um, uh, still now lifelong friends and, and, and people who you know I hold in the highest regard for their delivery acumen, their, their technology acumen, their uh, um, uh, on whatever it might be, you know, commercial, um, for example, around the outside of it. Uh, uh, and it was an awful, awful lot of pressure. An awful lot of fun. It was like it was like my earlier um, London Eye stroke Rialto stroke two sorts project, but you know, magnified in terms of you know the mission. If this goes wrong, you know there's a lot at stake here, money wise, and you know um, uh, and and it's a mission critical system. 
um, and uh, um, but you know, I'm not really I'm not really a fan of the term work work uh, hard work and hard play because uh, it wasn't yeah. really it was just a lot of hard work quite frankly um so you know if you ever did get out of the office for a beer in the evening it was usually because you were stumbling out of the office at 10 half 10 in the evening thinking god exactly. you know, i need to yeah. i need to just do something to get my, stop my mind from buzzing relief, yeah. weak front yeah. of it you're probably staying in a hotel 10 o'clock on a few jars yeah. fuzzy that, yeah, yeah. I, I think a few of us have been there yeah but yeah great uh, um um probably never see something quite on that scale again because it's the introduction of things like spending caps and the size of these you know um uh, contracts we would see again the size of these uh, groups of people pulled together yeah um, but taught an awful lot about um you know merging together a certain amount of uh, mission do what needs to be done whether you want to call that agile or not versus big program constructs around payment milestones and all that kind of stuff it was a yeah, fascinating time I was interested about that because obviously um, Agile likes small batches. It likes to discover as it goes and bring the uncertainty into the project itself rather than mapping everything up front. From an architect's point of view, you always get the sense, well, you'd like completeness. You'd like to know it all. How do you balance reality? Something's got to be big. You've got to have some idea. But also, you can't know everything and you're going to have to sort of, you're going to stumble into things and think, okay, all right. How do you balance, or how have you learned to balance those sort of massive, um, big and small, incremental and, 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 and big chain? So the, the temptation to want to know everything up front is, is I guess, probably more of a learned behaviour as a result of having cut my teeth on big waterfall programmes. I mean, that's, that's you know, all, you know, Agile in its um, capital A sense of the word, if you like, has been uh, uh, gaining popularity more so in, a, in probably in the period between, what, 2010, 2016, really, I suppose, I guess. I don't know, it's hard to describe a real frame for it. But if I've, at least in the circles that I was working in, it was still very much rub uh, and things like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm not saying you can't, it, well, it is, it's by its very nature, iterative, but it was still very big elaboration phases. Um, very big construction phases, very big test phases, and transition phases. Um, so the temptation, if you like, to want to up front is not really a uh, necessarily an architectural thing. It's just a learned behaviour of working on those programs, okay. because uh, you know if if you design a good reusable modular architecture, there's no reason why you can't make split decisions in the throw of delivery to swap out components or fix components because that's what you've designed, isn't it? Something that's yeah. able to be adapted and modified. A good architecture is modifiable, is extensible, uh, is flexible, um, which suits agility quite well. So, so it's really about knowing which of the unknowns you're trying to solve and which of the knowns you're trying to, uh, which detail of unknown you're allowed to carry, yeah. you, you're comfortable carrying on with. Um, um, and actually, that's probably more me than the learned behavior because I quite like drawing big pictures and saying, oh, well, well, I'll worry about that thing a little bit later on. I'm kind of all right with that. I'm kind of comfortable with that. In fact, if you talk to Vicky, I'm pretty sure she'll tell you that half the house is built that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, things that aren't quite finished yet. But I've got a grand vision for, you know, how it fits and what sort of ins and outs it'll have. I'm not figuring out the bit inside the box yet. Because yeah. um, uh, this sort of, 75% finished projects all over the place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm probably, my, the lovely Mrs. Gill would probably agree, yeah, you, you, you all have got a good idea, then someone's got to do it. And that's when you kind of disappear. Yeah, problem solved in my head. So it's solved yeah. everywhere, isn't it? 
Well, it, 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 it's, it's almost the, the bad side of me, which is the um, uh, curiosity will get the, get the better of it to start with. Oh, I, I'll learn this new language. I'll, I'll learn this new technology. And I'll have a play with building Raspberry Pis or NVIDIA Jetsons. And well, what, what project can I invent to demonstrate this? All right, I'll do a, an automation system for the front gate or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'll get to it 80% complete. It's like, oh, I'm bored with that now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to learn something else. I want to, I want to learn machine learning now where I want to want to. That's that's Um, important though, isn't it? That curiosity is about learning. That keeps you alive and keeps you moving forward rather than just staying in the one space. Well, I think that rather than staying in the one space all the time. I I just couldn't do it. Well, in this industry, you have no choice though. Because if you don't do that, you're you're dead in the water within, what, two years, three years? Absolutely. If if, if you're lucky. Um, uh, So, so, I mean, that's one of the things that... um, probably I'm most proud of, if you like, from my master days, which is putting aside all the, you know, career progression stuff for a second. One of the most, one of the most um, proud moments is if you like, is getting the, um, uh, the graduate scheme off the ground there. Yeah. UK graduate scheme, this is, by the way. Right, yeah. Master has a long history of doing graduates in India, in yeah. which I had very little involvement other than owning our technology roadmap, but it actually being a, a sponsor, if you like, of, of the UK graduate scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, because the the, the, the the yeah, in fact, you were there on for one of our for, for one of our and, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. And um, it was it was it putting aside, you know, the, the, the sort of feel good factor about you know starting a new thing uh, and giving people careers. It was being able to stand up and say, but the reason you're here is not to learn this. The reason he, the reason you're here is to learn how to keep learning and how to keep pace in this industry. So whatever you'll walk away from this initial three six month program with, I can guarantee. It won't be relevant in three years' time, two, three years' time. Mm-hmm. What's important is that, is that you keep that mindset going. And, 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 that, and I'm, I'm picking an example of the graduates there, but um, uh, that applies across technology leadership. The, the reason I think it applies just as much at our level is, um, in fact, this is probably the number one reason I say I still like to do a little bit of coding every now and then in my own time. I don't unleash my coding on customers. Um, is that, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I like I like to be able to understand what it is that people are doing, so that when we're having so if I do get pulled into um, tricky planning conversations or even or you know, and it does happen a lot, the firefighting conversations, I actually can talk with some authority about what's going on at the ground level when people are saying, oh, well, this, this particular design problem over here that's affected by the particular language and this API and this library is complicated because of this, that, and the other. I, I can understand it. I, I, I get it. And I, and I can translate that into, you know, program-level constructs like, you know, the transition risks or, you know, um, um, training risks or whatever it might be. Um, and that's required both for me to feel um, uh, comfortable in the accountability but also to inspire comfort in other people. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy that waltz in. Oh God, it's this guy again. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, <laughs> actually, I kind of do. <laughs> I've kind of been there and done your job. Um, yeah. And to be honest, I love it. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, and, 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 I, and I get the pressures you're under when when you're a dev. I mean, things have changed a bit since um, since when I was writing code. The cold face with invention of. Um, not the invention, I suppose, but more the um, continued uh, maturity of CI/CD pipelines and DevOps and all that kind of cool stuff that makes um, a lot of the old school heavy lifting what used to do taken away from you, and you can focus a lot more on the the cool end of coding. I think. 
it, it, I mean, I was thinking about this earlier today. I mean, I've been in IT for a while, um, possibly as long as you there, to be honest. Uh, but the amount of new stuff, you can do things easier or at all now that you couldn't do before. As an architect, do you see that your chocolate box of things you can do is just getting bigger and bigger? Or is it changing yeah. your thoughts about how you approach? Is there a fundamental change about how you approach architecture? Or do you think, same approach, I've just got more goodies to play with? Um, fundamentals are still there. Um, uh, think about reuse, think about decommissioning, think about flexibility. So, um, you know, if you think about um, the process you go through yeah. in terms of thinking about the, the needs of the uh, business and application and data uh, landscapes that you're trying to um, um, uh, realize, yeah. um, the chocolate box of tools that are out there, um, yeah, I'm sure, uh, in fact, it's an interesting one because I prob I'm probably a little bit removed from being able to answer that question that authoritatively. From honest, I don't do an awful lot of solution architecture work these days. My, my, my work is more in architecture leadership and enterprise architecture where, quite frankly, you can get away with talking in the abstract a lot more. Yeah. Um, so I'd imagine being a solution, a, a proper solution architect these days is harder than it was back 20 years ago. For the same reason I tell, um, uh, there's, a, there's a story I tell developers when I stand up in the well, I used to when I was at Master, which is um, probably around 20 years ago, if you stood up and said, I'm a Java programmer, or I'm an Oracle programmer, or I'm a Microsoft programmer, so be it .NET or SQL Server, whatever, you could probably get away with that for quite a long time. Um, these days, it doesn't cut the mustard anymore. You need to, you need to know um, the explosion of frameworks and tools has, has been so profound in the last 10 years that the the, 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 the the landscape is unfathomable for any single mind. Um, and I think the same is then true of architects as well. You can't know all the tools out there. You can't know all the platforms. Um, I mean, to be honest, if you just log on to the AWS console, look at all the tools that exist inside AWS these days. Yeah. Every time I log on, there's, a, there's, a, there's another half a page of tools I've never seen before in my life. And so, so, so you know, you, you can make it, well, people do make careers out of now just being an AWS architect or just an Azure architect. Um, where so so um, being a true generalist solution architect these days, as I imagine, is harder than it was when I was calling myself a solution architect. When uh, if you knew a, a key key three CRM systems and a key half dozen technology platforms and uh, you know a few data center contacts and a few key languages and a few key libraries, you were you were golden. Yeah, yeah. Easy. I mean, your head needs to be full of an unfathomable width of stuff that's out there, but you don't have to know it all. No, um, and that's the, and that's and that's something that we struggled with um, actually at Master because we weren't that big a company. Of course, you know, if you only have a couple of thousand people across the business at your disposal, of which what maybe only sixty percent are actually at the front face of delivery. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at the landscape of tools and platforms that are out there and say see that it's several hundred wide, there's no way you're going to cover them all. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So you have to pick the ones where you think actually you're going to be able to 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 have the best set of tools in that toolbox to be able to solve the most problems. Um, uh, yeah, I guess it's, you know, if you want to pick analogies and go down that route, it's about, you know, do you really want the whole gamut of things on your, off the B&Q shelf in your garage downstairs? Or, or just the things you know you need to be able to put shelves up and fix your boiler and shut yeah. the car up and fix yeah. its wheels or whatever. Yeah. Um, so there's, uh, um, I, I, guess, I guess it's just, I'm rambling a little bit, but it's it, it's um, 
I don't envy someone trying to do the job that I was doing 10 years ago today. Yeah. I, I suspect it's much harder than it was then. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, there's a lot of stuff that's pre-built and you can do a lot more work now, just, just bolting together um, a bunch of components, uh, hence the rise of things like low-code platforms yeah, and robotic like process automation thing. suites and things like that, where you're just bolting together pre, pre, pre-built components, just not in a, that wasn't said in a kind of, um, what's the word, uh, derogatory way. <laughs> I just mean uh, the focus has changed a little bit. Yeah, and um, I think you're going to see more low-code, no-code coming through, I think, just inevitably. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting one. Uh, I, I I remember having this conversation with um, uh, the MD uh, at the time in MassTech, probably five years ago, saying what he was saying. What's our low code future um, to me? And I was saying I wouldn't worry about it too much in our roadmap just yet. And he said, No, no, no. It's going to change the way the world's going to be in the next couple of years. Have a think about it. And I said, Look, I've been a coder since I was at school and been working in this industry uh, as a developer, designer engineer architect since what 1999 and um loco was promised in its various guises back then and it still hasn't materialized you know if i think back to the early sql server dts days when you could do data transformation <coughs> services you could drop and drag etl components onto a visual workflow and, and click go that was how we were trained when i did my sql server training back in 2000 or whenever it was um no one ever did that they dropped the insert empty code box here box onto the page and then typed the code. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that kind of, um, at, the, at the time, five, six years ago, sort of um, uh, uh, encapsulated my disdain, if you like, for the progression of low code as a real viable um, delivery tool in the market. I was wrong. Uh, it has accelerated. Um, and um, uh, happy that I'm wrong in some respects. Um, but that doesn't mean that it will ever take over the role for yeah. needing good engineers who understand what's going on under the skin behind those blocks yeah. or even actually where the blocks don't exist to do that particularly unique problem. Um, uh, but, uh, but the point I was making about architecture is much more can be achieved with what, 15 to 20% of the effort. Yeah. I think, um, We've talked about technology quite a lot, rightly so, because of your background. But more recently, I think you and I, when we've been talking, it's been more about people. And I think explicitly, you know, you, you're now working with the teams, you're, you've got enterprise, you've got architects working for you. Um, you're part of, you have been part and you continue to be part of both technical leadership teams and business leadership teams, if I can make that distinction. People management is bloody hard, isn't it? Technology is actually yeah. quite easy comparison. <laughs> um, so they're just yeah. So test out your team. I think is the question here. Uh, so my my so I, I don't know the answer to that. If I'm brutally honest, yeah. but I'll tell you my style. Um, uh, um, and it's probably a style that's born a little bit out of cowardice, but has come good for me. Right. So um, I, I got my first bite at people management. Um, when I was probably far too young to be doing it. I was, it, it was before I had a solution architecture role. It was probably, um, I don't know what, it must have been around 2000, somewhere around there when I was still in technical support, but I'd, but I'd become like, you know, reasonably senior in the technical support industry. And I had a small team of people working for me doing, we were doing VAU change as well as some technical support. And I had a small team of people working for me. And there was a guy in my team who wasn't working out. And uh, uh, my mentor at the time and supervisor at the time said, you're going to have to do something about this. 
um, and um, and it wasn't something that was about leadership and about correction. It was a it, it was a behavioural thing as well, and it was it was disruptive. Uh, fundamentally, he was asking me to get rid of him, um, right. and it was the hardest thing I ever had to do at that that moment in time. I'm just not cut out for that. Um, um, probably a little bit on the spectrum myself, thinking, Christ, I'm a I like coding and designing things and being creative. I don't particularly want to go and tell somebody that you know they need to find a different project because they're off mine. Yeah. Um, but I had to do it, and and um, within a few months of that, um, I moved into the solution artist role where I wasn't directly people managing the team. I was just technical and task management. The project manager and the people management community looked after the individuals, and I swore at that point um, that I wouldn't people management. It wouldn't do any people management ever again. Um, and I would I would just pursue what I now know to be in, in modern parlance an individual contributor career. And uh, I did that for many, many years, just, just doing, uh, uh, I don't know, the sort of uh, walking down um, uh, uh, dusty lanes with my with my you know my trusty steps and doing solution architecture gigs as a contractor, uh, yeah. but never actually getting under the skin of any business, never yeah. actually trying, you know, getting involved in any sort of as a people aspect more anything more than doing technical task management. And uh, at, once I've been at MassTech for probably a couple of three years, it was no longer an option for me to really ignore that. Yeah. Um, uh, I had no no choice but to start thinking about the people aspect and how to grow um, capability and people, grow people in that capability and grow teams. Um, so that's why I say it's born a bit out of cowardice. So the style that I became was quite trusting and hands-off um, and... And in fact, the person that told me what my style was, was actually, uh, the way it encapsulated it very recently was, was a chap in my team before I left. He said, um, what you've given us as a team is actually the guardrails. All you do is you kind of let us do what we want to do, more or less, as long as we're aligned with the vision, we know where we're going. And all you do is you interview them and say, no, 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 you've gone too far this way. You, you don't go and have that conversation. Don't, don't do that yet because I've been there, I've done that, this won't work and so on. And, and then the same on the other side. Um, and that's really how I come at, come at that. Um, I don't know all the answers to all that, but at least I, I, I was experienced enough in that environment to know where those, where, 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 where the, you know, the people were going off the side of the, of the gully. Um, and um, so, so does that work? I would say it, in my limited experience, if you like, um, of having, you know, um, just the last six, seven years, yeah, I, I think I got the most out of people. It does lead to potentially to overtrust. I have had a couple of bad experiences with overtrust, and I had and and I perhaps um, had too much um, faith in both me and the other person. So the other person to, to take on board um, what me and the team are telling them, and myself to try and correct some rough edges um, um, that I have learned hard lessons from, which is. It's all very well being a guardrail, but you can't go away from the fact that sometimes you have to be a decisive manager, not just a leader, a decisive manager. And and that probably comes down to the crux of what I believe to be between a manager and a leader. Um, who knows what whether I agree with 30% of LinkedIn memes or not here, but in my mind, um, a manager is almost quite an old school operational um, uh, algorithmic type construct to do with, you know, budget management, timesheet management, um, uh, process, all that kind of stuff. Whereas leadership is about nurturing growth, um, setting direction and 
uh, feedback as well, actually, because um, uh, you, you, you're not a good leader unless actually you're being influenced by the people who have more experience and more skill than you do. Yeah. Uh, it's why you hire them, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, so so for me, that's the difference. So I, I, I used to draw this Venn diagram. Um, I say used to, I still, I still do. I don't, I don't need to anymore because I think people get it now. But, you know, manager uh, as, as one circle, leader as another intersecting circle, and individual contributor another one. You don't... To, you, there are very few people who sit in that middle intersection as being amazing individual contributors and great leaders and great managers. There are people out there who are great managers who could never be a leader. And there are people out there who are probably good leaders who are probably pretty poor at management. Probably me. Um, uh, and then the same is true of all the other intersections. You know, you can, you can, you know, if you visualize the intersection, you can see where, oh, I can, I, I can think of somebody who fits in that intersection there. I can think of somebody who fits there. Um, and uh, but I think the reason I the reason I tried to draw that one up and in, 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 in the context of people management is because um, I think by people management we mean people leadership normally is because um, I've come across a lot of people who whether they're wrong or I'm wrong doesn't really matter but in my view I disagree with them because they think a leader is some kind of super manager I think they're two different things and you can be good at both but or you can be good at one or the other or you can be good at neither. Yeah. Um, and you can learn either, to be fair as well. Um, um, it's all to do with behaviours and as well as training and, and experience. Um, but I, I, I don't think one is like a, a superset of the other. I think they're intersections at best. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that's sort of where my style comes from, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I must admit, I do like the idea of guardrail. Well, set mission directions pretty important, but the guardrails, and I think. Uh, probably prefer that myself i can do detail but don't generally like to stay there too long and i actually on behalf of gordon because he won't say it i know some of the people he's worked with and um we talk about him behind his back and i can assure you <laughs> sure everyone does um he's a little bit more hands-on than that and he's a little bit more supportive than even that is uh, suggesting he's a very humane star and it's been well appreciated we're nearly out of time We've got to ask you about your next role, your current new role, because it must have been, I know it's a big decision to leave Mastic. You've been there for it was. you've invested a lot of time in yourself. You're incredibly well respected. But I guess tracing now, more than ever, we kind of need you, Guy. <laughs> There's about, you know, 66 million people who are kind of hoping this is going to work well. How are you finding the role? What's, what's going to go, what's happening going forward? And I realise you're talking on behalf of yourself as Gordon Carlin-Bloppers. You know, the department yeah uh, so with that caveat in mind um, it's as you might expect it's an environment where an awful lot of good stuff has been done by people coming together with genuine good intent yeah. it sounds like I'm saying really bad here but I'm not um, uh, but um, I, I likened it I liken it a little bit to um, I've come in uh, pardon me uh, and I'm not I'm not I'm not a terribly important cog in all this. I'm, you know, I've got a reasonable role to do, but um, in the grand scheme of things, what we've got is this, um, you've I've sort of opened the bonnet and there's just wires everywhere. <laughs> and, you, and you can look and you can go, what the, is going on in here? And you start ripping it all out and you start getting angry about it. And you start thinking, well, why have we done it this way? But then, but, but you know, there were good reasons for all yeah, these things. Yeah. We had to do something quick. Yeah. Uh, and we had that in place and we had that in place and they really wired together, but sod it, we'll do it anyway because at least we've got something out there. And an awful lot of people put a lot of hard work into that. Yeah. Um, so some people have really busted a gut um, uh, to, to get this stuff going. Um, I've worked on big projects before um, where um, it, it, if you're not careful and you watch the news, 
you're going to get depressed because it's thankless because you because it's because it's a blood sport out there to be to, to, to look at the hard work they're doing and treat it as a punching bag um um and um i have a very empathy because i've been part of that and i'm back to part of it again so i'm, I'm not here to you know to talk about you know that that mess of wise in a bad way um but it does mean there's a big challenge ahead of all of us as we try and figure out how we um try and establish some kind of order and direction to some of the um uh, tactical um chaos and spaghetti that's been created over the last um what is it now five months um yeah. five six months um so that's what i'm excited about doing um uh i'm um, not coming in as a pioneer that i could have been perhaps in april to say right i'll do something get this off the ground um i'm i'm coming into the strategic part, yeah. of the, the part of the program to try and look at well how do we take some of this stuff forward and make it part of the landscape of the uk health and and uh, um, and health protection system for the foreseeable future because that's the thing um, now it's not just the acute need now, and this is an ongoing thing because these, presumably, even if COVID is for the vaccine that goes away, whatever that may mean, there's just yet another one coming along. We just know it. It's still going to need managing as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, same as flu does. Same as any other. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, um, potentially nationally affecting um, uh, um, uh, disease is that's out there. Um, so, but what what's attracted me to it is is as you rightly say, it, it was a big decision to leave. It, it was, it was, it was having a a um, a much more direct correlation between what I'm doing and realization of some kind of emotional mission. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying in any way that I wasn't emotionally attached to Master because anyone that knows me knows that I really, really, really was. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, lots and lots of friends worked there, and my, I had, you know, we had some great clients. We're doing some great stuff with them. Um, but this is an opportunity for me to get back to something a little bit closer to that um and uh and that's where i'm hoping that i can be me and make that difference i've only been there a week and a bit i've been trying to get my feet under the table trying to get to know the team trying to get to know what, what's been going on um as i said earlier um we're, we're on the cusp of actually um uh delivering some stuff over the next few weeks that will will start to show the step change yeah. um between you know the, the sort of tactical I won't use the word legacy, tactical landscape and the strategic yeah. landscape, um, uh, which I'm really looking forward to because um, as a as the engineer and architect in me, um, uh, it's most comfortable when I can see stuff happening, um, uh, you know, like code outputs coming out, systems going live, um, yeah, uh, contact center agents, um, their user experience being improved because they've got a new system that's slicker and easier to use. And ultimately, you know, um, uh, Maybe it's not too grandiose to say it. I hope not. Um, you know, affect people's lives. You know, and that's what it's all about. Um, end of the day. I think I, I, there was not one question I could ask that would improve on that. <laughs> I, uh, it, it, I, I, I promise you, it wasn't rehearsed. But, I, but a number of people have asked me over over the last few weeks, "Why have you done what you've done?" And 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 um, hand on heart, that's it. Um, it's not for money. It's not for um, uh, self-aggrandization. Um, although there's, no, I, I do believe there's no such thing as altruism. You yeah. do it because you feel good about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I do feel good about it. If we, if, we, if this goes well, I can say, yeah, I'm part of that. Um, but and, uh, and there's, um, a, there's yeah. a ton of challenges. I know, and I know that if nothing else, just about privacy. You know, how to make sure people feel comfortable. The, yeah, 
uh, I was talking to someone uh, recently from So Energy, and he said the British are much more, they're not very happy about it. In France, we just give it away. But here, they don't like giving away details. They don't like to be known. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it, it's, that's, it's a progression though, isn't it? I think other yeah. countries are simply ahead of us on the curve. Um, so if you looked at our populace, um, uh, if you remember back to sort of the Daily Mail, Daily Mirror, Daily Sun, and even you know the, the, the more respectable <laughs> uh, press, um, then the, whenever the word ID card got mentioned in in yeah, what yeah, late nineties, yeah. early two thousands, the exactly. public furore around mm. that. Nowadays, I think whilst we whilst we are a bit more jealous than other countries about our data, actually, in our heart of hearts, most of us probably just give it away a lot of the time and know we're doing it we know we're doing it oh, amazon's got it facebook's got it google's got it apple's got it yeah yeah um, and we know we all know it's out there we're not nice. nando's has got it i mean <laughs> yeah yeah and we know and we know it's been traded and sold and stuff yeah. and we know you know uh, you know even with all the protections in place we know it was you know all above the law and it's all you know compliant and governed um but it's still happening yeah. and um uh, so, so i think um it's probably true that, that we do have a different attitude to, to other European countries, but I, but I think it's not a, a static analysis. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. the psychology of the nations moving over time. As you know, to be honest, the population gets I wouldn't say gets younger because it doesn't get younger as an old, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> as the younger population comes through. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Gordon, I, I know uh, all your friends at Mastech, all your new friends and uh, all the people know you are going to wish you all the best luck to you, your team and all the people working on it because we need that buddy. But thank you so much for sparing your time. It's been really good fun listening to your views about leadership and your own special take on that and, and your journey as an <laughs> architect. May your chocolate box always be rich for good decisions going forward. Oh, I like that one, yeah. <laughs> but, but not too big. I can't figure out which ones, which ones to use. Yeah. yeah, not the coffee cream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time gordon i hope to speak to you soon yeah cheers everybody all right cheers bye